Welcome to Diverse, a Society of Women Engineers podcast. SWE gives women engineers a unique place and voice within the engineering community. On Diverse, we highlight incredible women in STEM and discover who they are at home, at work, and everywhere in between. You can find all of our episodes online at podcast.swe.org or wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. Hello, I'm your host, Sam East, and welcome to Diverse, a sweet podcast. We have a really cool speaker today, Thera Ebjamin, joining us today to talk about hardware engineering and the challenges and opportunities that women face in hard tech. Thera is a mechanical engineer and hardware enthusiast who recently founded her own startup, advising and coaching company, Pratik. She's worked in multiple hardware startups in a variety of industries, including space, consumer electronics, fusion energy, and robotic. In addition to being an all-star mentor in residence at Techstars and an innovation advisor for Forge, she's also the host of her own podcast called The Builder Circle, aimed at helping hardware entrepreneurs, builders, and engineers with the challenges of modern hardware product and system development. Thank you for joining us today, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I mean, that that was quite the bio. In that alone, it's really obvious that you are passionate about the world of hardware engineering. So can you sort of take us back? We always like to do this on the podcast and tell us what hardware engineering is and how it's different from other areas of engineering. Yeah, for sure. So everyone defines hardware engineering in slightly different way. When you talk to any firmware or electrical engineers, they'll say hardware engineering is like PCB and like electronic stack design or full stack design. When you talk to mechanical engineers like myself, it's more so just a physical thing, whether it's a system or it's, it could be a chair, it could be anything, it could be a very complex uh, mechanism. But the way that I define hardware and the way that I put together my podcast is truly just a physical product and uh, whatever that may be. Because in the entrepreneurship world, there's a lot of software products where it's like software as a service and hardware is more so defined as anything that has a physical presence in the world. Mm. Um, And hardware engineering is really the engineering, the design, the production and everything that goes around that. Okay, so this could really encompass a lot of different things. Correct. And did you always know that you wanted to go into this type of engineering or what was sort of the career journey and progression like for you? Yeah, it's actually, I guess, slightly cute and wholesome story in a way. <laughs> when I was in middle school, me and my dad always used, uh, used to watch uh, Discovery Channel and mm. how it's built. I don't know if you've ever heard about. Oh, uh, yes. How- so it, it was a show that basically for those who haven't watched it, it's basically a show where they show the manufacturing process uh, for different things like a golf ball or like, I don't know why I'm thinking golf, but like golf clubs and stuff like that. And so it's my my kind of obsession with production and making physical things exist in the world started there. And I always wanted to be a mechanical engineer after that. And I was lucky enough uh, to have an education in it. I went to Boston University and studied mechanical engineering. And then afterwards, I was basically off to the races. I went into the kind of startup land space uh, right after college. I started with working on CubeSat satellites where I worked with a team to design and implement, like actually assemble it in a clean room and then do a bunch of tests on it. And then 
I I also worked a little bit on the the business development side, which was super interesting and a kind of startup realm that got me into the entrepreneurship and just general innovation space. And then afterwards, I went into consumer electronics, where I worked on a project where we were trying to build a uh, electronic bracelet that looked like a regular bracelet, but it was to protect women from unsafe situations, which was super interesting. And it was my first kind of uh, introduction to uh, social impact, but also mass production. Mm. And then after that, I was lucky enough to uh, join a team that was working on fusion energy. And I worked there uh, on their R&D team to create the manufacturing line for cables that were going to go into the fusion reactor, uh, as well as just working on other R&D projects, which was incredibly exciting. And it was a very, very talented team. And it was an excellent mission. And that's how I got interested in climate tech, which led me to Techstars because I, I'm a mentor in residence for their sustainability program. And I work with all of their hardware companies now and mentor them through their product development journey. So that's kind of been my career path up until now. Wow. That is very impressive. I mean, you ran down a few very impressive things right there, but Going back to more of the beginnings when you were working in startups, for someone hearing this who may be looking for a job in the engineering space, mm -hmm. what would you describe the startup environment like? I think because you hear different stories about career progression for engineers, maybe going to a bigger company, but startups mm -hmm. specifically, what was that like for you? I personally loved it. And I really do think it's a very situation or person dependent. Obviously, mm. there's a good amount of risk that you take in a sense that if the company doesn't succeed, you're out of a job, uh, mm -hmm. which a lot of startups fail. And that's like my whole thing is just like I want less of them to fail. And that's why I've like devoted a lot of my efforts now to help people so that they don't. But when you're when you're choosing your career, doing a lot of kind of self-reflection and understanding what your priorities are are really important. So if you're very, you're, if you're a specialized individual and you really want to work on one thing, a big company might actually be a really good path for that because you will have a really defined role and you'll really get very specialized in specific area. With startups, the the best part about it is that you get to do a lot of things. And if you're not quite sure what you want to specialize in, or you're just a generalist at heart like myself, you get to not you get to just touch on all the entire value chain. So you get mm. to potentially like design and build something. And then maybe you go to a conference and you try to like sell it or you talk to customers. And if you're not interested in that, maybe you like try test engineering, you know, like in big companies, they have dedicated mechanical engineers. They have dedicated test engineers. They have dedicated like uh, analysis people where they uh, basically uh, do like structural analysis or thermal analysis on on the components. But in a startup, because they're nimble and they're cash strapped, they usually end up hiring like a mechanical engineer to do all of those things, which is exhausting, but incredibly rewarding because you get to just learn so much incredibly fast. It's like it, we always say uh, said this at one of the companies I worked at. It's just like two years here. It's like eight years in a different uh, company in terms of just like density of yeah. uh, experience. It's like dog years, but in yes. the engineering world. <laughs> exactly. Couldn't have said it better. <laughs> so, I mean, again, the experience that you've had is very diverse, just like the podcast. But was there something that stood out to you, a really sort of pivotal project or interesting project that you worked on that maybe changed the course of your career trajectory? 
Yes. I think, I mean, the course of my career trajectory changed at the beginning when I started in startups to begin with, because that wasn't really in my plans. I didn't think that I was going to get into to startups. So when I first uh, took my job um, at a startup and I got to do a little bit of engineering, a little bit of product management and got got just that full kind of range experience, that opened my eyes to what I was able to do. I realized mm. that I was more multifaceted than I thought I was. I really like out of college, if you asked me what I wanted to do for my life, I would have said mechanical design. Like that's mm. all I'm good for. <laughs> I, I love it. I, I'm good at it. I, that's all I'm going to do. But when I got to wear a bunch of hats, it really gave me a lot of awareness around, okay, like maybe this is Maybe I'm I'm a bridge, you know, like there's a lot of uh, people that are better than me at mechanical design uh, and potentially better than me in uh, business development or stuff uh, like uh, along the uh, uh, value chain. But I was like, oh, I could I could do many of these things. This is really cool. And I, I don't think that's really common. So it, I feel like it started a little bit early on. But in terms of a very specific, like interesting project, I, I, I don't think anything can compete with working on a fusion reactor. A fusion device more so that's what we called it it was it was one of the most fun exciting stressful uh involved projects i've ever been a part of i it, it was a really small team and we were basically working on getting an entire manufacturing line up and running uh so that we could produce these like high temperature superconductors that were going to be the revolutionary technology that was going to change the way fusion worked. So it was like this huge mission and it was excellent team and it was an incredible project that was successful, which was also another big thing. There was all obviously a lot of uh, learnings in the path of it, but I, I wouldn't change it for the world. And I think that really showed me how much I was interested in manufacturing process development and how much I cared about uh, climate tech and reversing the effects of uh, global warming. Wow. And when you were working on this fusion device, you know, you're speaking so highly about the team and what you were able to do together. When you looked around at the team, were there a lot of women or were you one of the only women on the team? Actually, there were a lot of women. Yeah, which is which which was great. Yeah, the I I worked with a fellow um, engineer. She was also one of the lead uh, manufacturing engineers on the project, and our project manager was uh, a woman as well. So we had pretty pretty good uh, diversity on the team. I'd say it was it wasn't fifty fifty, unfortunately, but mm. I think it was pretty high up there, getting close to that. Do you feel that that is sort of the momentum and trend that you're seeing in, in your experience that more and more women are becoming empowered to follow this industry, to get into it? I think I, I want to say yes, because that's the world I want. And I think it's through example that women feel more comfortable because it's like when you walk into a room and there there are people that look like you, whether you're a woman or any minority group, it's just more comfortable. And I, I'm I'm privileged enough to have walked into rooms where that was the case. I think there's still a huge discrepancy, and I think that there's a long way to go. And one of my one of my missions with the with the podcast was to also just normalize technical content coming from a woman's voice. Mm. Uh, although I don't call it out ever, 
because I, I feel like putting too much emphasis on it also doesn't make it any better. I, I By putting too much emphasis, sometimes it makes it worse because then it almost normalizes it being abnormal. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Well said. So it's I think that the the trend is coming about, but I think we have a long way to go. Mm-hmm. And what what kind of we're talking about trends here in that, but what emerging trends or advancements in the hardware tech space do you notice right now? And is there something that's feeling really exciting and passionate for you? Yeah, I think in in okay, so we talked about climate tech a lot and reversing the effects of uh global warming. And I think one of the one of the trends that I'm seeing and it's and again, this is a hardware tech space in a sense that like not quite complex systems like a fusion device, but maybe a little bit simpler like either fashion or furniture or something along those lines. Regenerative materials are coming about, which I'm very excited about. And what that means is basically reutilization of scrap materials. There's so much scrap material that uh, gets produced out of manufacturing processes, and there needs to be a better way of utilizing them. So that's something that I'm very particularly interested in. Uh, One example that I'm thinking of right now is there are some companies in Europe that use scrap clothing, and they press it and make blocks out of them. And those blocks get used in building materials. So like they build actual buildings with them. They're like structurally structurally sound. They obviously, they have other support mechanisms in, yeah. in place as well. But all of those were going to be in landfills and now they hold up buildings. So, so stuff like that, I, I'm very, very excited to see more of. And then, I mean, beyond beyond that, the very obvious advancements in uh, artificial intelligence is mm-hmm. really interesting to me. I've been uh, doing more research on that. I'm actually talking at a conference in October uh, regarding how it can be slotted into hardware because it's right now it's very software oriented. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it could also uh, lead to uh, advancements and uh, optimization of hardware development. So very excited to see where that goes. I got to go back to the the clothing that's being repurposed to build buildings. That is incredible (laughs) to hear. You said it's happening in Europe. Is there a promise or a possibility that it could happen here in North America? I think yes. I think, unfortunately, there's so in terms of regulatory systems, Europe is very much pushing for decarbonization with legislation, Mm. whereas that is not quite the case here in the U.S. So there needs to be some level of like a bottom line for it to exist a little bit more. So I think that advancements in post-processing of scrap is going to be necessary for that to exist. I know a few companies like there's an industrial design studio in San Francisco called Prowl, and they very much this is their brand. Like they work on regenerative materials and working on industrial design with them. So they are, in my mind, the leaders of this. And it's it's co-owned by uh, two women. They're they're excellent people. And so it I think that there there is a urgency related to climate tech coming about, which could affect and kind of they can all rise with the the wave of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm very hopeful that the U.S. does make investment into this because I think the U.S. is an industry leader when it comes to these things. And the investment is made here. It'll have a global impact. Not to mention the amount of sheer waste that's created by us, the consumers, constantly buying clothes and fast. That's a whole other conversation. But that is a conversation. But yeah, yeah, definitely. 
Wow. Okay. Well, you know what? That that gives some hope then to to hear projects like that that are so innovative and hopefully going to become the norm as time goes on. But hardware engineering that is, you know, a difficult sphere in and of itself. Hardware entrepreneurship that's that's a whole other thing. And and we know that you're intimately acquainted with this, where companies run into the challenges of raising funds and and launching products and so forth. So could you talk about how the world of hardware entrepreneurship inspired you to start your podcast, The Builder Circle? Oh, yes. I mean, I could I could talk your ear off all day about this. <laughs> we got time. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so, but yes, hardware. It's the 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 always the catchphrase. Hardware is hard. Which is true. It's it's definitely hard because there's just so many moving components and so many dependencies, whether it's to people on your team or externally, there's just so much to it. Hardware entrepreneurship is specifically very, very difficult because because it you basically need to it's the the other classical saying of like you need to spend money to make money. Very true with hardware. With software, you just basically need like a, a, potentially a team, but you could get contractors and you need a laptop and you can go. So the the operating cost initially is not as high. With hardware, you oftentimes need to make a lot of prototypes. You need to do different testing. You're not able to do all testing in-house. You might have to outsource. You have to get your components from different vendors and you need to be able to pay them. And every vendor has a minimum order quantity. I could go on and go go on and on and on with the the general challenges of why it's expensive. But what that causes in the venture capital space is that a lot of investors are looking for a return of investment and as soon as possible with the highest amount as possible. Uh, With hardware, that's just not going to be the case. Usually the timelines are longer and the return might not be as, as dramatic as, say, a software as a service company. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I always say like the, the other end of that is hardware has a much bigger impact uh, than any software ever will because we live in a physical world. And the toughest challenges and the problems that we face are in the physical world, especially with climate change right now. So I built the Builder Circle and I continue to build it as a podcast to basically act as a curriculum for Mm. hardware entrepreneurs to be able to reference and get key takeaways and then kind of go on with their uh, product development journey and say, ooh, like, I I remember this from this episode. Like, I should definitely pay attention to that. Because I worked in a lot of startups, I was always like the only mechanical engineer or it was always really small teams. And I sometimes I had like great mentors that I could go to and ask questions or I was in a good like incubator environment where I could uh, there were people around. But there was also a lot of times where there weren't. And I I, I'm basically uh, concocting this podcast so that uh, it's like it's helping, I guess, my my younger self (laughs) and saying like, oh, I like I really wish someone was like whispering this into my ear. Uh-huh. So that, like when I was looking at these documents or building this thing, I, 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 w- I was thinking about the right thing. I had to fail a lot to learn. And I'm trying to provide a knowledge base so that people fail less, still feel empowered to fail and learn because every product is its own monster and you will learn through it. But there's some like very key components that are just very similar and are just like cross product, like all of it applies to all of them that I'm trying to kind of get down to the wire with. And what inspired the podcast itself was actually my mentorship that I did through Techstars. 
because I got to meet a lot of great, great products, great teams, and they were just missing some key components. And they kept asking. I, I realized I was copy pasting the same email to the different entrepreneurs that I was working with, which made me think, OK, these are like common pitfalls that people are just falling into and they're making the same mistakes. And how can I help with a, a bigger voice? How can I help more people that I don't have the pleasure of meeting directly on Zoom or in person? How can I have a bigger impact? And mm. that's what that's what inspired the podcast. That is such a beautiful thing because, you know, hardware entrepreneurship, that's not that I'm aware of, is in a course in a college or university. Nope. And so to have that tool readily accessible to people who are coming up in this industry, well, that's invaluable. Mm -hmm. I hope so. I think so. I definitely do think so. And you're super right on that. It's that Right, right now, because of the like the whole internet storm that came about in, in the late '90s, that that took over, and software became a very fundamental piece of our daily life. Which, mm -hmm. like, I have so much respect for software. Don't get me wrong; I'm not like, oh no, we should go back to the industrial days where we're like cranking on um, shafts to make things work. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying that at all. Um, I love software. Have, deep, immense respect for it. It has changed our way of operating as a world and for the better, in my opinion. But what happened is it took on by storm so much that hardware really got a side, kind of like a side seat. And mm. when you go into like business school curriculums or you listen to other podcasts, it's really operating on the basis of software. And it's just not applicable. It's it's there are, of course, pieces of just any business that could go uh, hand in hand. But it hardware is such a different beast and it needs to be treated as a separate problem to solve rather than try to counterfeit what uh, a solution would be for a software application to a hardware application. Mm. Well, thank you for the work that you're doing. I, I know that this is going to impact a lot of people and, and continues to all the time. So. This is this is essential learning for people in this space. Thank you. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and, and based on your experiences from your own career and then also other women that you have had a chance to work with, and you mentioned a couple there, mm -hmm. uh, what challenges do you feel women in particular are facing in the hard tech sector? Mm hmm. Well, there's there's a lot. I mean, it's a it's a long list. I was when when we were prepping for this podcast, I was I was talking to our like SWE representative and I basically said, like, I mean, to start off when my my first job didn't have a woman's bathroom. <laughs> wow. So uh, it's just like even that it's like if, if you think about it in like just logistical uh, terms, like it's kind of silly and like it shouldn't really have like an impact. Like, oh, OK, they, they like converted one of the men's bathrooms to a woman's bathroom when I was the first woman and uh, as an engineer there. But it has the, this like undertone of a message of just like you don't belong here, hmm. which is obviously you you don't think about it actively, but I think subconsciously. It creates that, which is why a lot of women, including myself, have at some point or continue to experience imposter syndrome, thinking that mm. they are not good enough to be in a room, that they're not good, uh, that they're going to ask a stupid question, that they shouldn't speak up at a meeting, they should let the experts take care of it, et cetera, et cetera. I think there's a lot that women do in terms of internal, like internal speaking to themselves. 
which is something that I'd like to directly reverse in some capacity as I talk to more women. Because at the end of the day, most people don't know what they're doing and everyone's flying off the seat of their pants. Yeah, it's, it's That's just the reality. And your best guess is as good as the other person next to you. I think one of in in terms of the the most prominent challenges, I think women faces one like discounting themselves and rejecting themselves before anyone else does. So that's the meta step of just like, please don't do that because people might disagree with you and that's healthy. But at the same at the same time, it's really important to get over that initial barrier of entry, which is usually caused by self. And then I've also seen women kind of either shrink themselves or I guess act in a way that comforts others, which I think is inauthentic. If if that is like if if you are a generally soft spoken and shy person, I'm not saying that you should be boisterous all of a sudden. That's also right. wrong. But I think being authentic uh, to who you are, what no matter what position or situation you're in, is fundamentally important. And it, it either goes with uh, women uh, shrinking themselves or over entertaining, like uh, telling a lot of stories and trying to keep people entertained. Uh, like these things. So I think there's a, a there's a lot of bias out there and there needs to be active efforts in companies to be able to recruit in a diverse manner. That's mm -hmm. a given that needs to be a, a DEI initiative. And to be able to do that, you it really needs to be a focused effort where like they could get in contact with SWE, you know, and there there's a, a whole a whole bunch of incredibly talented women. And the more women you get, the more inclusive the environment is. And and you kind of go from there. So I, I'd say challenges are a, just a big like ball of complication right now. Mm. And I think through time with uh, examples uh, in industry. There's just so many amazing uh, women uh, engineers and leaders that are coming about. I, I would hope that this encourages better self-talk and uh, encourages women to feel like they belong and that their voice needs to be heard. What you said there really, really reminded me of that quote, your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. Exactly. Exactly. Because no, no one else shrinks themselves. Right. Right. Like it, it, it's it's it is not a mold for anyone to crouch down and fit into. It's mm -hmm. like you create your own mold, you create your own authentic mold and you step right into it. And if people have a problem with that, it's usually the fact that they have a problem with themselves. Oh, that's a word. That was good. In your experience. Navigating your career and your journey. What are some examples that we can draw from from you in helping to close that gender gap and empower more women engineers to enter the hardware space? Because I think. You know, the idea of closing the gender gap feels like an enormous issue that we're presented with. But there are things that we could be doing every day to help that. So in your experience, what would that be? I think, OK, so I, I want to talk about like actual actionable, like maybe the, these are going to be too small of things to do. But the small things really accumulate to big movements. Mm -hmm. So one thing, if you're in a room, any room at all, whoever is listening, I I ask you to look into a room and see who isn't speaking. Usually mm. it will be a woman or a yeah. minority group or someone. 
that doesn't feel like their voice deserves a moment. Ask them what they think. Give them give them the space and the stage. Obviously, if if it's something that they don't have anything to say, that's okay. Don't force them. <laughs> but I always personally, when I'm in a room, I, I keep an eye out for that. When And this is also, I guess, beyond just women, just like there will be introverted members of your team that just don't feel comfortable speaking up because there's a lot of people and women specifically get spoken over a lot. Yeah. Uh, and so people who don't want to be spoken over just don't speak at all. So just keep an eye out. Who isn't speaking? Who looks pensive and isn't saying anything? And call them out and ask them specifically what their thoughts are or if they have any thoughts that they would like to share. So that's like a pretty small thing, but I think it creates a very inclusive and collaborative environment. And yeah. it all starts in meetings. Like I, the, we all have meetings, whether we like <laughs> them or not. <laughs> uh, but it's like it, there will be there will be silent members. So make sure to make sure to give them the space and time that they don't feel comfortable advocating for themselves. And then in terms of I, I would say in terms of getting more women in hard tech, I would say oftentimes women get celebrated in weird ways. And what huh. I mean, what I mean by this is like there could be an excellent mechanical engineer and she might be doing an excellent job in her design work and production work, but she is uh, celebrated for her energy and her organizational skills. Oh, um, like the so the quote unquote soft skills, the soft skills, because, mm -hmm. yeah, like I, I. Yes, exactly. Like their their soft skills or the energy they bring or the organization they bring or the collaborate collaborative environment they they uh, encourage. I've I've been told this and every single time someone tells me that they're going to miss my energy, I kind of cringe a little bit. I like appreciate it. I know that it's coming from a good place. But it's just like, how about like my really good hard skills? That, yeah, like, I, I created this prototype that saved hours of work for this person. Like, how mm. about that? So it's like it's 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 important to pick what compliments you give and make sure that they encourage the like, I guess, the important parts, too. And for women that receive those compliments, don't take it as a. I feel like a lot of women, when they hear that they're like organizationally really well, there's there's a pivot that happens where they either go into like consultancy or like project management. I, but it doesn't mean that you have to give up your individual contributor work as an engineer. Mm -hmm. So sticking to it, if you like engineering, continue doing engineering just because you're good at organization does not mean you have to quit engineering. So I would say that I think leading by example and sticking close to engineering tasks and individual contributor work is very much encouraged. And that would be, I think, a good move to continue on in hard tech. I mean, throughout this conversation, we hear how busy you are. I'm sure we are almost keeping you from the, the tasks that lay ahead for the rest of the day. But before we let you go, is there anything else that you want our listeners to know about the world of hardware tech or the future of hardware tech? I would say, one, I think that if you are interested in hardware tech and uh, just hardware engineering in general, please be empowered to go for it. It is so rewarding. It is so fun. And the world desperately needs it. And mm. it, even though it's hard, it is still a very, uh, very important part of the value chain that that is going to take humanity to the next level and 
especially if you're interested in climate tech, there's a lot of amazing companies out there, uh, whether they're startups or even large company initiatives that are trying to contribute into uh, reversing the effects of uh, climate change. There is a desperate need for a lot of really good brains out there. So please <laughs> give hardware a chance and uh, work on it. And if if there's anything I can help with, you can reach out to me directly, too. Mm. Um, I, I'm a resource uh, for the entire uh, engineering community and the hardware community. I'm incredibly passionate about this and it, I'm rooting for it. So I'll, I guess, leave it with that. And if you need help with it or if you're struggling with hardware, that's what the podcast is for. So listen mm -hmm. to the Builder Circle. <laughs> yes. Subscribe. Listen to the Builder Circle podcast. And you said, you know, to reach out to you if there's any questions. So what is the best way to reach out to you? So either people can write through LinkedIn or they can write to hello at pratikdev.com to reach out to me. I'm, I'm super open to it and I would love to help. Oh, Sarah, this has been such a valuable, such an empowering episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a blast and what a wonderful cause and uh, incredible team to do it with. Thank you so much. Again, make sure to follow Sarah and the Builder Circle podcast. From all of us at SWE, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to subscribe, leave a review and share this episode with your social network. You can visit podcast.swe.org to keep up with our episodes and learn more about how the Society of Women Engineers empowers women to achieve their full potential as engineers and leaders. 